Awoga, this is a dwarf cast. I challenge you to listen to a podcast across the internet for quite some time. Specifically, the Ganymede and Titan live instant reaction dwarf cast for series 10, episode 6, the beginning. Yes, as this series comes to an end, so do our live broadcasts, but let's make this one go off with almost as much of a bang as those simulant death ships at the end. Coming up, we'll literally be discussing this episode to death, speaking to some very special Skype correspondents, I nearly said spunk, and then (laughs) revealing yet more exclusive Dimension Jump news. But we're also guessing that those of you listening live will have plenty to say as well, so please get in touch with us via the Let's Talk About the Beginning thread on GNT or via Twitter at Ganymede Titan. Joining me in signs in GNT Towers tonight, we've got Jonathan Capps. Hello. John Hoare. Hello. Tanya Jones. Hello. The fan club's Joe Sharples. Hello. And the ghost of Daniel Stevenson. Hello. Oh dear. <laughs> now, um, I apologise for playing some very quiet Gladiators music for 40 seconds there, which I did until Jonathan Capps pointed out that I hadn't unmuted my microphone. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's going, it's going really well already, this last episode. Does anyone want to see the Mickey Mouse operation going? No. This is a real shit operation, isn't it? <laughs> uh, so, let's ignore that and talk about our brief thoughts on the episode. John? Oh, me? Yeah. I don't know. You weren't paying attention, so um, I thought I'd come to you first. <laughs> um, can you come back to me? Because it, my oh, mind right. is so kind of... Black. I I liked it, but I didn't think it was funny enough, is basically how I'd sum it up. Um, but it did have my favourite scene of the entire series. Uh, well, we'll come to the specifics later. Jo? Um, I really love it. All right. That's it. Good. <laughs> uh, Danny? Uh, yeah, I let that entire episode wash over me in a fit of glory, and it was absolutely <laughs> fucking amazing. Ah, <laughs> oh, good. He likes it. <laughs> <laughs> he said before we went on air, I've got opinions, but I'm not going to tell you yet, and I was worried. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I feel really bad, because after having criticised Doug for his plot writing and all of that stuff, he gives me a plot that um, is sort of coherent, but there is... Something in it that really fucking bothers me and really fucking annoyed me. Um, so I'm slightly underwhelmed. <laughs> All right. Capsi. Um, I'm going to dial up my opinion a bit. I loved it. It was the best episode of anything ever. No, um, I really, like, it was by a mile the best episode of the series. And I uh, everything pretty much hit the mark for me. Plot, jokes, everything was really good. For me, it's definitely the closest episode to the classic era, uh, just in terms of the way it felt watching it. Um, I don't even know if it's my favourite of the series, because there's quite a few contenders, but it was very, very good. And uh, it felt like a finale, and I liked that about it. Yeah, first time that that's really been deliberately done, probably. I mean, we've never, never really had finale, finale episodes, well, I guess, until... Um, well, no, not really. Like, no, you know, not, that sort of thing. There's been a lot of cliffhangers and stuff, but something nice and satisfying, and ah, that's the end. Because even Bat Reality wasn't written as a cliffhanger. No, it wasn't yeah. supposed to be a big finale episode. Um, go on then, Tanya. <laughs> <laughs> You've intrigued us. Well, yeah. I'm squirming, and I obviously want to talk. Yeah. Um, if we hadn't had Howard at the beginning of the series. Uh. I would have been absolutely fine with the real back rumours father. 
but it doesn't make any sense to me in the context of the series because it doesn't really explain it kind of contradicts what Doug is trying to say in the Howard episode what he's trying to say in the Howard episode is that Rimmer's feelings about being the only failure in his family isn't true and in fact we can probably um, assume from that that Doug is trying to say well just because one brother's successful doesn't mean every brother has to have that kind of success that people you know find their own paths in life and you know the most important thing is that you do whatever you do well mm. whether that's being a technician or an officer um, but now we've got that Rumor's dad wasn't Rumor's dad after all which we could probably could have surmised anyway from the <laughs> description of Rumor's mother before <laughs> What a slag. Yeah. Well, <laughs> indeed. And, and Trollope produced. How interesting. Um, you got it in there eventually. So, so it bothers me. I'm really sorry. It's probably just me being a cunt, but it really... It, I just thought, no, this doesn't make any fucking sense. Um, which is a shame, because actually I like the fact that we had something set up that was paid off in a very satisfactory manner. I had no problem with that whatsoever. Um, I thought that all the guest cast were really, really good. Um, I've got a problem still with the main cast, and I don't think um, that any of them sold the emotional hit of what the plot was trying to do. Mm. I don't think Chris Barry sold it. I don't think any of them sold it. I don't, also don't understand why Cat was the one doing the kind of heart-to-heart thing. So I think, oh, since when has Cat given a shit? <laughs> That's and Lister's I thought, job. It's Lister's job. Why hadn't Lister done it? I that And so things like that just made me feel angry. And, I, <laughs> and it was just a shame because actually it was pretty well plotted, apart from my reservations. Well before, well plotted. Maybe light on the jokes for me. But anyway, that's my opinion. That's Tanya's opinion. Uh, and it's, uh, as ever, mixed online, although it is more positive than negative. Uh, two extreme examples on GNT. Uh, Cozy Fantosi says, Oh my God, I am one happy little cunt. That was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's settling in. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas Chris Carter says, I'm actually angry at how bad that was. Only the good angry. Good model shots and the flashback scene were the only saving graces of that. Crap plotting, characters appearing from nowhere. A great idea. Comedy simulants. Way to kill their menace. Sigh, oh well. Well, but that's to be fair, they did extreme <laughs> reaction. The Simians did have giant missiles. There was some yeah. menace in that. And there was genuine peril in there for the yeah. first time in a long time. And, and, and also, the Simulants have had jokes before. It's yeah. not like There's always yeah. been comedy aspects to the Simulants. It's just a different version. And in this room, uh, the loudest laughs came from the Harry Carry or Harry Kari. Let, or let's face it, that was just me, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, it wasn't that, necessarily all of us laughing. It was just the loudest laughs because yeah. John laughed. I, I know, honestly, that scene is by far, it's not in my, my favourite scene in the series. And it's kind of odd because it's the scene with none of the regular cast. Yeah. It's just guest cast, which is really weird and kind of trips something in the back of my mind that's happened before, which is... Um, Sometimes I wonder whether I'd like things Doug wrote now that weren't Red Dwarf, that was mm. actually something else, which is something maybe I've wondered about before. But that scene, you know, the what is it? Um, that looks an important bit. <laughs> yeah, like, that looks like but an important bit. I loved bit. that um, every single possible joke was wrung out of that, that <laughs> idea. And unlike some jokes, it actually felt worth 
yeah. it almost out. went on too long, but, but it not did, quite. It did cl- yeah, and that uh, final line of that night, I absolutely love that scene. I think yeah, I think a couple of the jokes in that episode suffered from being um, a little bit oversold, um, but. Yeah, that, that particular... I mean, that was my favourite scene as well. I thought that was really, really good. But I also thought that young Rimmer was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Mm. Uh, as well cast as Howard was, really, like, yes. looks-wise. And, like, the, the mannerisms were all there. And also, isn't it interesting how different that scene looked to the entire rest of the series? It really did feel like another time, another place. Yeah. It didn't just feel like, oh, we've shot this round the corner. Was, yeah. that, was that location? That, uh, that was a corridor in a room in Shepperton, I'm assuming. Well, it, Shepperton it, offices. It bloody works. It <laughs> really works. Well, it's because that establishing shot sold the whole thing mm. of Io and the classic, you know, the domes that we you know, saw in Dimension Jump. Yeah, and another area of similar uh, colony. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, so let's go through it bit by bit. Yeah, we all love that opening Rimmer scene. Uh, and then we had Hoagie the Rogie, yes, uh, <laughs> from the movie script, um, played by Richard O'Callaghan. It's interesting in the um, I think it was the Den of Geek interview that came out today. Uh, Doug said that um, the opening Rimmer scene was taken from the movie, mm-hmm. and uh, we'd have to assume that some of the Hoagie the Rogie stuff was too, because Hoagie the Rogie is from the well, movie, yeah, played and by Richard O'Callaghan. Not only that, but then the payoff. To, um, to the whole Rimmer plot at the end, must presumably from the movie, unless a new yeah. payoff was written. Um, I mean, I came out of that um, the recording of the episode believing everything I'd just seen to be in some form adapted from the movie because it all seemed to hold together and belong yeah. together um, quite well. So maybe it's the element of the simulants is is a new bit. Well, the simulants were described in um, the uh, the flyer, the movie flyer. Yeah. And the attack on the dwarf and everything. Yeah, homo sapienoids. So I, I assumed that that was, the, that was a connection there. So I assumed they were from the movie, that Hoagie was from the movie. Yeah, but and possibly sure. elements of it are different to how they would have been in the movie script. Yeah. I, I thought it was nice to give Callahan some proper comedy business to do because his role in Back to Earth was very deliberately not yeah. particularly comedy-based. So it's nice that he actually... Got to do what he's good. At. Yeah. Yes, he was extremely good. He was. It's. A, I, I really like the character. I mean, when we, when we first saw him that on the, um, it was the Back to Earth documentary, wasn't it? Um, and uh, hearing the just the character name Hoagie the Rogie, I sort of kind of internally groaned a bit and just thought, well, it sounds like a decent enough idea, but it could easily go wrong. But I mean, <laughs> it. I. It was just a really properly funny character, and I really like the idea of this. This annoying simulant that's kind of latched onto them and, <laughs> yeah. and turns up every now and then, and just just to alleviate boredom, you know. <laughs> the them to the implication was it's like uh, a gym out of Friday night dinner. It's an annoying <laughs> guy who just turns up, knocks on the door. Oh, fuck off, Ogie. <laughs> it's interesting because um, one way the show could have gone wrong is to actually have him as your second half. Yeah. of the show and have right let's have the comedy simulant come in and oh it doesn't really mean anything blah 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 but no they do it sensibly do the first half you think this is going to be the big thing no this is a joke and the serious stuff comes later on well serious you know. the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the stuff with menace which I did think it had uh, so yeah then we then we had the um, the reveal of the simulants which we've touched on I think um, Crichton was good this episode uh, with not 
too much to do, but a lot of good little character gags thrown in. And him coming in and asking if it's a good, if it's convenient <laughs> time, not noticing that the uh, yeah. <laughs> the hull had been breached. Uh, and yeah, and then we move on to Blue Midget. I'm just trying to remember the episode in my head now because it's. Uh, yeah, they well they they convene in the drive room first. Look out the window. Look out the window, which um, is a joke that's been done at least twice before in Red Dwarf, but it's still really funny. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah and at that point, then they uh, they fuck off to Blue Midget while um, uh, phasing really nicely because um, they um, Hoagie's pistol uh, disruptor was set up really nicely in that first. Uh, first scene, but then they reinforced what this pistol can do again in the corridor scene, which I think was added after after the recording, uh, with them falling through the the floor. Um, I wasn't so especially was, uh, convinced by the effect. But no, <laughs> I think I think it's worth. I, I, I watched an episode. I did think. I think you've kind of. I would have rather have had fewer shots and some of that because there were some excellent ones, and there were some that just was a bit. Rope here and there. Well, and I would have rather they done less. There was a lot, and mm. I think it's the old Doctor Who thing of I think they could have done less shots and done them better. Interesting. Uh, just to interject at this point, uh, Andrew Ellard on Twitter uh, says it would be very wrong to say that this ep was mostly Red Dwarf movie stuff reworked. Loads of new stuff, main character arc especially. Well, that's very so very encouraging. <laughs> well, that's very very encouraging. I'm, yeah. I'm, the more of this this episode is, that is new stuff the happier I am basically because um it it just means like especially plotting wise that you know I I really really liked every beat in that episode there was no real fat in it there was nothing to say oh god you know are we wasting time with this bit again or you know anything like that it was all all driving it was all pulling in the same direction I yeah I really really liked it good so did I. Uh, another quick point on Twitter, uh, just a, a little interjection. Lisa Rice says, do you have to swear so much? And yes, we yes. fucking well do. <laughs> yeah, we do. Fuck off, Lisa Rice. <laughs> <laughs> Should we do Should we Sorry, do that was a bit hard. <laughs> <laughs> Can I do my top five swear words? Yes. Right, cunt, yeah. fuck, <laughs> shit, bollocks and minge. Yeah. Good. Controversial. <laughs> controversial new entry for Minge, then. <laughs> I'm all about controversial entries to Minge. Uh, so then, it's the second half is um, some of the most rumour-centric stuff that we've seen for a while, despite Trojan, yeah. which is saying a lot. And so, uh, all the things we learn... Um, Yes, he, there's no mention of the fact that his last words were gazpacho soup. Yes, but never yeah, that, that However, that um, I saw somebody say that, and the th- um, he never says he never says that. Yes, that's what I my last words were. Yeah. Rimmer's t- uh, Lister's taking the piss out of Rimmer and yeah. saying, "Oh, your last words were mummy, mummy." And he goes, no, they weren't. They weren't my last words. He's like, no, because you only got as far as m. <laughs> but he's still. It's just taking piss. It's not. It's not rewriting. Yeah, it's not actually what he no, said. it's not rewriting anything. It's just listening. It's conspicuous, the conspicuous by its absence, maybe, but it's not particularly um, a problem. No. Yeah. Oh, well, I saw it as, um, as Rimmer sort of egging up his death to make it more dramatic, and that's what he sort of thought would be the best thing that he could show his death as being. You said egg. (laughs) (laughs) Are we talking about the revelation or not of whichever it is, or are we saving that for now? Um, Well, 
It's it's still both, isn't it? Because yeah. he died in a radiation leak, and so he died in the radiation leak, and also he uh, remembers the chameleonic microbe. So it's still it confused the hell out of me. I have to say it's 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 still a combination of the two, and or he because they don't say oh you saved the day after you came back from the uh, mirror dimension. Um, it, or, no, he says um, he just says he saved the day, so he could have turned up as Ace. One mm. of the yeah. alternate endings that was discussed, so he could still not be the series eight Rimmer. So uh, it's yeah. deliberately muddying the waters. Yeah. Yeah. Well, everything about this was muddying the waters. <laughs> in, in I did like the interruption way. and movement. That was very good. Yeah, I, I enjoyed I, that. A I lot. have seen a few people get annoyed at the fact yeah. that, that it wasn't explained. And quite honestly, if that's the only reason you were watching, just fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually interesting because that that joke they did, um, the joke they did where they said moving on and not actually answering it. A, it's a very very fanish joke and B it's very atypical for Red Dwarf I cannot think of a single instance in the entire show's history before where that kind of fan yeah. fourth, almost fourth wall breaking thing yeah. um, that gets a laugh on screen so actually that is a fourth wall breaking joke definitely yeah but you hear the audience sort of going oh <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's definitely out of the action that yeah, bit, but in a good way. It's basically Red Dwarf telling a portion of fans to shut the fuck up as yeah. well. <laughs> <laughs> Which, Which is fine. Yeah. <laughs> we say that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and and then yeah, um, not only that, but uh, yeah, Cat telling Rumor to man up and him doing so. Oh, by the way, on GMT, um, someone who's uh, Stephen Abootman has already taken Abut. the Abut. has Abut. already taken the trouble of uh, screen grabbing the battle plan timetable, and it's very funny. Um, such as uh, three ha- three fifty minute snooze breaks, uh, <laughs> two of which are crossed out due to no time, and uh, two snack breaks. <laughs> And a five-minute section at the end saying, make a brilliant battle plan. This is like John Locke's map from Lost all over again. <laughs> uh, yeah, and the second snack break, as, as, as a footnote, don't have the same snack twice, diversify. <laughs> <laughs> now, you see, what I'd like to know, is did Doug write that, or is it just the props department being amusing? I would say it's possibly... We might find out on Twitter, because a few of them are on Twitter. Yeah. Uh, um, speaking of departments, um, we noticed we had a massive credits uh, section. Yes. It seemed like there were more people credited this week than usual, so it's presumably every single person who who worked on it at some point got... Uh, Models got a particular... Yeah, yeah which makes sense. Everyone. Yeah. Should we talk about the models a little bit? Let's. 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 Go on then. You start, Ponce. Uh Well, there was an absolutely brilliant first shot of the Red Dwarf camera going underneath the ship, yes. which is something we haven't seen yet with yeah. the new model, yeah. which was absolutely gorgeous. Felt like a classic shot, didn't it? it yeah. Very close to and it was, it was good to see that uh, the shot of Blue Midget... Whoopsie daisy, just dropped some. <coughs> the shot of Blue Midget um, screaming away from Red Dwarf, uh, which is the first shot in the opening titles. Yes. Uh, for that to continue and two annihilators pop up behind <laughs> Red Dwarf peeking out of the top is very nice. It, yeah. W- yeah, and th- those um, annihilator models are the, the... What was it? The death. Cru- there was three annihilators and a death... Ship. Cruiser or something, yeah. yeah that um, they are really really nice models. I believe they were already built for something, yeah. But, um, so 
but it's just you know nice that they've you know got some screen time and they're able to well really... Bill, Bill Pearson um, talked about those in our um, interview with him on the red carpet of the uh, series yep. ten premiere, uh, which you can listen to on GNT or if you wait for <laughs> next week there'll be a special just the interviews dwarf cast for you to listen to yeah, you can relive well, 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 it very <laughs> yeah just to cast a bit of intrigue. Um, uh, Bill said that those models were used for a Christmas special. Were built for a proposed Christmas special. Oh, yes, yes. But don't reveal that now. They've got to go and listen to the old stuff together. <laughs> well, they can do that. There's lots more information in there. Oh, yeah. And his pleasing Scottish voice. And <laughs> uh, he, talks. <laughs> uh, he talks like that. So, what did we think of the conclusion, uh, Rumours plan, basically, of using the the quite heavily signposted matter disturber. Yeah, it's a bit too heavily signed. I, I found that slightly clunky to the whole thing. Really. Uh, well, oh, to be, to be perfectly honest, I thought that was the best payoff written in the series. Yeah, <laughs> um, I really liked it. So I'd, I mean, I'd you know, I've, in some ways, yes, I suppose it was it was kind of obvious, but I'm not used to Doug introducing an idea in this series and actually paying it off so I think we should be grateful <laughs> I, 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 I do like the idea I just think maybe it was slightly clunkily executed I don't know I did like it well it, I like the build up I liked all the uh, Geneva Convention oh, stuff yeah. because yeah. it leads you to believe that this is Rimmer's plan yeah <laughs> and um, so you get a good laugh from that and it's still you still get See, I, a satisfying payoff. I, I saw what was coming to earlier. I when it, there was a line about make sure they stay in these exact positions. Yeah, and actually yeah. I'll tell you what really made me wonder. You know that swooping three sixty degree shot gives the game away too early. Mm. The it of, is everyone's good. in positions that just like that. Then we think, wait a minute. Also oh, it's, it reminded me of Blink when um they had a how Sally Sparrow escapes in Blink is to uh, get in the TARDIS and get the angels on either side yeah, of the TARDIS yeah, 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 and yeah, it dematerialise and they're all looking at each other. So it's the Very same true. sort of concept yeah. as that. Well, but, but also there's, there's, there's a particular line about using their uh, might against them. Yeah. And as soon as that came up, right, okay, that's obviously what's going to happen. Whatever the details of how it's going to happen, that's obviously yeah. going to blow each other up. They could have lost that line. The radar shot was maybe a bit too much of a giveaway, but the actual reveal of the fact that the ships are now actually around the Blue Midget was an amazing shot. It was a good shot, maybe not quite at the right time. It's a difficult balance, though, because if they removed a lot of the foreshadowing, then it would feel more like it was just pulled out of their eyes. Oh, I don't think so, because you've got all the foreshadowing earlier on with the fact they've set up the gun. Oh. So you've got that foreshadowing, then you've got more foreshadowing. You end up with about eight it. shadows. But I think it over. I think it overegged it. Oh, just um, I disagree. But that's. I thought it was fine. I don't think they overplayed it. Mm-hmm. They, it, it wasn't overly mentioned. Um, it was quickly like because obviously they had the gun to start with, and then Lister took it and they used it to in order to get around yeah. Red Dwarf quickly, um, and then it was kind of just quickly mentioned later when he was going through the. Yeah. What weapons we've got? But it wasn't as if. Do you remember this? The gun. <laughs> yeah. That know, means everything can be I, good. I, I wonder whether I by episode six I got used to the way Doug's mind's working with the series mm. because there's so much of how he sets things up in the series that is very similar from episode to episode. Yeah, I think if, that's when, actually quite atypical for Dwarf almost. When you're watching mm. it and you, I do sort of think with everything, not just Red Dwarf, but why are they telling me that? Yeah. And so I remember things like that. But yeah, yeah it's a. Uh, 
you know, it's personal. Going delivery. back to that um, that model shot just before, you know, when, when it, that three sixty um, or one eighty pan, mm. uh, I really, I really quite like the joke. Well, it's a beautiful model shot, and I like the joke behind it. Says, "Oh well, um, we can't see them." And when it pans around, you see that the giant uh, death cruiser is right next to them on the side. They just they, again, they didn't look out the side windows. I <laughs> quite quite enjoyed that, and they put a laugh over that as well. But it was probably justified. Um, there was one odd thing which I noticed um, when right. I'm I'm jumping right back to the beginning now. Um, when um, young Grimmer walks around the corner, there was a hilarious laughter. From the audience, at mm. nothing. <laughs> yeah. I was. Why is that? Why? I don't remember laughing at that. I think it's um, a knowing laugh of, oh fuck, there's young Rimmer. That's you know, it's kind of like it's a laugh of recognition maybe. But it was quite, it was it quite was a big odd. laugh. Yeah. I, kind of, yeah. I can't say good enough good things about young Rimmer. That is oh, he was yeah, he was great. great what country. was the guy's name? What's the guy's Philip Laby. Philip Laby. Uh, that was that Labia. was it. But no. <laughs> and really, really good casting. You just bought it instantly. Yeah. yeah. And the punchline to that good. scene was um was really nice. <laughs> I, he yeah. does a very good smug rimmer face. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> anyway, enough of us lot for a minute because we're now joined on Skype by our first guest of the evening. It's Jonathan John's Mad Young. Hey. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Symes, if if you're calling this Skype channel, it's because uh, you and your team have the best website on the internet. <laughs> You've achieved all your dreams, and so it no longer matters if I tell everyone that you are in fact the bastard love child of Ian Lee. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I was going back through all these um, references to like Rimmer's dad in previous episodes, and uh, I think by far my my favourite is um, in Inquisitor. When he, they now say uh, Fiona Barrington, you got off, uh, got off with her in your dad's greenhouse, and it's like, well, if his dad's the gardener, then that's an amazing foreshadow. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's nicely remembered. <laughs> John's mad has come on and shown us all. Up. I was about to say, <laughs> we said two really things. This. Can't we just kind of be an MCR and just get people calling <laughs> in and just coordinate it? So um, stop being brilliant for a minute and just uh, tell us what you thought of the episode overall for a start. Yeah, um, yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I kind of watched it uh, on, on recording because I was at the uh, recording, thanks to you guys mm. tipping us off. Um, but I didn't enjoy it so much on the recording night and I think you probably needed all those model shots and all that kind of stuff to really set the drama and all the scenes and everything, you know. Um, I wasn't quite so sure where, where, where it was going on the night. You could sort of get Rimmer's story on the night but not so much the jeopardy of, of all those uh, missiles and everything but um yeah i, I fantastically enjoyed it because um it sort of felt like this is where all the money went so compared to sort of dear dave that was like very downbeat this was the upbeat one it um it's, it's been a great series really um with with the missiles you were talking about the missiles at the end of the episode um i think they kind of did that before in sort of polymorph in a really really small low-key way with the um missiles no, yeah. that came out of the, <laughs> yeah. the lift that destroyed the monster at the end of that episode. It's that kind of a duck, really, isn't it? But just done on a much, much bigger scale. Um, but, yeah, on the night, I was kind of like, oh, should they be retconning Rimmer's dad in this way? It kind of felt a bit like when they made Mac McDonald the, uh, the donut boy rather yeah. than the actual authority figure, you know? I think... Um, I think I can't, I've kind of warmed to it. I think with things like that, it, it boils down to whether you enjoyed 
the jokes around it and the episode around it as to whether it pisses you off or not. Because if you like this episode and you like what Rimmer does in it, then it, it's not going to affect how you view Rimmer over the years. Because, you know, Rimmer's always acted thinking that he's got this evil father and his character is based on that. And if, if now we see a new side of him, then that's fine by me because we've had 10 years of this room <laughs> well that's it yeah Dennis the Donut Boy was a cheap gag this yeah. has led to what seems to be genuine character development but then I've seen people online who haven't liked the episode so much who are saying now this is they shouldn't have done that with Rimmer because that ruins his character uh, I think Pete uh, part three used the phrase uh, that ruins things from better episodes so I think it just depends on where you view the episode in which revelations come he was I still think- his adopted dad though Still yeah, he still bought him up. Really, he yeah. still bought him up. Yeah, well, um, but also the reason. Well, the reason Rimmer knows now is because his father gave him this thing and said, "When you become an officer and you've achieved your dreams, this is a message for you." So we can assume Howard got the same thing and never played it. Uh, Can't yeah. we? Well, yeah. So you're saying Howard is also um, the I'm pool saying his stuff. mother is a slag. <laughs> <laughs> If you can't beat him. (laughs) Talking from his mother, I think she also was um, majorly responsible for Rimmer turning out the way he did. Yeah. uh, Because she's a right cow whenever we (laughs) encounter her. So, uh, yeah, um, I don't know whether whether it's going to make huge amounts of difference to Rimmer's character. Well, what it means now is that he's not trying to please this mythical uh, figure that he built Mr. Rimmer up to be. Um, he he now thinks well, my <laughs> it's a bit of a dodgy attitude thinking my dad was only a gardener, so he must be chuffed with me. No, but, but I think oh, you see where he's coming from. Yeah, different but, perspectives. But it, it leaves good room for character development because yeah. now he doesn't have the pressure of having to become the officer. Yeah, he has the thought that if he does become an officer, his father will be <laughs> proud of him, and so. Yeah. Maybe that will. He's got a nice bit of yeah, carrot instead of a stick. Exactly. It seems one him. of the things that you guys have to remember about him, uh, quite liking the fact that his father is the uh, is the gardener, is that he has actually spent a lot of time in that garden, um, mostly in dimension jump hanging upside down. <laughs> <laughs> the gardener didn't let him down though. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, actually, it was the gardener's I, chance to be near him. For I think the perfect bit of character development would would be for uh, Rumor to be. Become a haughty culturist. Yeah. Crichton <laughs> can help him. Yeah. <laughs> I think maybe. He'd be like a future Prince Charles. Yeah. Well, they do have the botanical gardens on board, apparently, they mentioned earlier in the episode. Oh, yeah. So, you know. I think people might have a, a bigger problem with this because it is a, like, a huge. Um, well, as Lister says, a billion piece jigsaw finally <laughs> falls into place in one of the best lines <laughs> of the episode. Um, but it is, it is huge because all of almost all of Rimmer's negative uh, aspects can be traced back to the fact that he's always trying to please this could like conceivably if it was real life completely change him and obviously in the reality of the show if we have a series um, 11 that'll never happen but if we never have a series 11 it's almost nice to think that he's going to live out the rest of his days happier I, I definitely <laughs> got the impression I mean this is something that I might have been my mind was tainted on because when people came out of the recording they said the ending is um, could serve as an ending for all Red Dwarf ever or 
you know, it's open ended. Mm. But if this was the last episode ever, it's quite nice, and that fits into that. If um, shadowing the end line of the end, obviously, and yeah. then nice little bit there back on the ship, Rimmer is presumably happier now. I'd be. It, it's basically it's far more satisfying if this is the last episode ever than only the good was when that served as last episode ever for nine years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like leagues and leagues better than only yeah. the good. Uh, so John, did you have anything more you wanted to bring to this forum? Um, yeah, I really like the, the the young actor playing Rimmer. I'd quite like to see uh, him used again if they do any more uh, of Rimmer's backstory. Um, Spin off. Really, really love the guinea pig joke. I think it's worthy of like sort of a tri- trigger moment in Only Falls and Horses. That one. It's just you can see it on his face as well. The kind of like, oh, don't tell me off with names like that kind of acting, you know. And uh, he's just really missed the chance for a shag there. Basically, <laughs> it's just hilarious. Um, it's also and, the second um, is the second guest actor this series to have to um, take on aspects of Chris Barry after Mark Dexter playing Howard. Yeah. <laughs> of, you know, he played a really believable brother and this was a totally believable younger version of Rimmer. All the mannerisms were there. It was a really good job. I, I know this is what 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 it reminds me of is you could do that um, opening scene as a just a series of sketches. Yeah. So you could have sketches, Rimmer's school <laughs> thing, and just do, you know, um, six of those a week, and like a rental sketch show. <laughs> yeah. So one could be that, another one could be Crichton in the laundry room. <laughs> you know. It's like Dear Dave, but done well. Yes. <laughs> um, anything else, John? Come in. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't catch that. Was that a question? Yeah. Uh, anything else? <laughs> it wasn't yeah, a very good question. Um, you, you seem to not like the episode because of how uh, how you felt about the Howard story. Um, do you think maybe Howard's the son of the kitchen staff? <laughs> who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. I did find myself wondering who Howard's or father is. The postman. <laughs> well, he always knocks. I just had um, one last question to put to you guys about the whole sort of series, really, which was. Um, I kind of feel there's sort of been a bit of character regression across most of the cast, sort of like cats sort of like back to being more cat-like and yeah. more roaming around. Um, Crichton seems to be a lot more subservient and uh, Rimmer's back to sort of being a lot more report book than, than he used to be. Um, and I sort of feel this is kind of, they've sort of found Red Dwarf again after the end of um, getting rid of all the prison guys, etc. You know, and it's sort of, it hasn't necessarily helped them over the last decade that uh, they're just sitting on the ship again. Um I th- what your thoughts were on that, really? I think it's a, a symptom of how it's written, as in Doug's now come back to these characters, having not had anything made with them in Back to Earth aside for so long. Yeah, he's he's rediscovering what the characters are rather than the original series. Even you know the gap between series six and seven now doesn't feel like a long time compared to no. the gaps that we've had to deal with since. And so, rather than a very natural and organic. Um, building of the characters into becoming what they were it's sort of starting from scratch and having to take the key elements but I can see at least they're consistent across a series and within each episode they are consistent versions of these characters which is not something that we've been able to say for for some of the more recent past series I think something that I've said before especially with Kat um, obviously because we've got a nine year gap anyway so we don't know what's happened in those but in these nine years they've been back on Red Dwarf and they've had all this space mm. and I'm quite happy that Cat would have regressed back to being more catty because he would have had the entire ship 
to Rome. He wouldn't yes. have had to be in the company of everyone else. It wouldn't have, you know, like when they were in close quarters on Starbuck, they would have had to be in each other's yeah. pockets and they'd have had to get along with each other. Whereas when he has the op- option to not do that, he can just bugger yeah, off and do whatever he yeah, wants. That's a really good point. As, yeah, as Crichton sort of um, hints at in Dear Dave, it feels like uh, what's been a quiet 10 years for us and Red Dwarf has been a very quiet 10 years for them. Like their first few years after, you know, the nation <laughs> yeah. was incredibly busy and now they're just, you know, plodding around, yeah. as you say. And uh, also, <clears throat> um, they're probably, well, Rimmer, Cat and Lister, they're all having midlife crises and maybe regressing <laughs> a little bit. And oh, it's like, But with Crichton as well, it's, you know, when they were on Starbuck, they're in close quarters, there wasn't that much for him to do. And if he was yeah. doing cleaning and laundry and whatever, because it was small. Yeah. And now he's back on Red Dwarf, he's back to having his, his schedules and stuff. And then, like, in various episodes, we've sort of seen him saying about his social life with the dispensing machines <laughs> yeah. and there's like it's like he's going back to his old routine and so I can it's, see. it's definitely the peril that made the characters what they were in series yeah. six because uh, Kat had to be a useful part of the team because he was the pilot and there were constantly incidents happening on screen and off screen and they were they didn't have time to themselves to do what they wanted to do and now they do Indeed. Pan-dimensional liquid beasts on the Mogion clusters. The line that always one. sticks with me. <laughs> because it's just, it's not just that it's, uh, it's a one-off joke. It's like, fuck, they're going through a lot <laughs> yeah. on this ship. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's save that for 20 years ago for our uh, yeah, <laughs> time right. in reaction. <laughs> uh, and we'll let you go now, John. Uh, Thanks, man. Having taken the day off work so he could join us. All right, <laughs> 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 oh, you don't have to go just yet. <laughs> Uh, thanks oh, it's cutting out, so. Oh, okay. Well, it's been a pleasure. For, thanks for joining us, and we'll speak to you soon. Thanks, guys. Bye. See ya. Love you. Bye. Bye. What a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> I do like it. We comprehensively kicked our asses, <laughs> <laughs> jokes wise and points wise. There. You're still there, Danny. Yeah. Yay! Yay. It worked for the to first mediocrity. time. <laughs> um, let's bring in some comments. Um, I had one lined up, and your stupid iPad has moved. I've got one then. Go on then. Um, this is about Cat and his little pep talk with uh, Rimmer uh, from Nick Quinn. He says, I've, I've found in times of crisis when the cat's life is in danger, he tends to step up to the mark and be a bit grown up. That links into the Series 6 It does, yeah. Thing. He's still got that little bit of proactiveness that he learnt during those times of peril. And, and like he says, he's a cat, he senses things. It's not, you know, it still feels like a scene that Lister should have should have been in really because Lister's it's, the moral heart and the, see, it's and interesting because I think that was a very deliberate decision I think Doug would, I, I bet Doug sat there and thought right uh, obviously Lister should come in here that's too obvious let's have Kat do it so yeah. from that kind of thing I think, I'm not sure whether it quite comes off but from the idea yeah. of let's try and do something different I quite like it maybe well, it was just as simple as um, the cat hasn't had a great deal to do so far um, he's had enough this series <laughs> yeah he's, he's had some of the best moments um, yeah. uh, for me it would have worked better if it had been Lister I think, I I think, think yeah. maybe the emotional um, impact of what that was meant to achieve would have hit home a little bit more but um, yeah. anyway <laughs> I think especially actually is um, uh, Craig really didn't have that much to do this episode no mm. so that could have been his you know his moral heart. His, his moments, and yes, his, his moral heart, as it were. Well, I've got something to say about that. 
Go on then. Go on then. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'll you. I thought that it was going to be revealed that the cat had already watched Rimmer's yeah. message. I uh, yeah, I remember. That was what that. I was thinking was ah. going to happen because he was like, "Ah, oh, well, I've already seen it. That's how I know all that stuff." Yeah, and that would have been perfect. Perfect thing for cats to do is just go, "Ah, I've yeah. already played it." Yeah, that, that, I would have been a lot happier with that. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I do feel slightly kind of guilty criticizing the scene partly because I just think. It's Doug trying to do something different, and I'm all for Doug trying to not go for the obvious. Yeah. So yeah. you know. I'm... And it, yeah, it was a nice scene for Cat to sort of to be you know to be nice to Rimmer for once and to actually you know converse with him rather than just taking the piss all the time. Exactly. Well, he realizes his self preservation is kicking in, and he realizes yeah. he might might need to actually have to do something. Yeah. And maybe the shock of the cat coming in and saying something sage is what really jolted Rimmer into thinking, "Oh, hang on a minute, there might be something in this." Sure. Yeah. Yeah, perhaps it coming from Cat rather than Lister, who yeah he expects to be moralised. Yeah, all of this. I mean, sorry. No, yeah, that's it. Go on. <laughs> I was saying that the Cat also uh, is quite insightful in Trojan as well because he said it's the reason why you can't concentrate because of all the stuff in your head. And I thought that was a nice little thing that Cat would like. Yeah. Well, how does the Cat know that? So it's a bit insightful for Cat. Really. He seems to have a good handle on Rimmer, really, when you look yeah. at it in this series. Yeah. Anyway, well, he's known him for a very long <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah. He just chooses not to use his intelligence. He does <laughs> <laughs> what a cat does, which is sit around yeah. and observe things. Yeah. But it's true. And then jump around and disturb our dwarf cat. <laughs> <laughs> They're both asleep, leave him alone. Yeah, it's only a matter of time. Um, uh, Danny's been absolutely brilliant in this episode, though. and in general, really, for this series. Yeah. Probably the most most improved from Back to Earth, without a doubt. Sure. Yes, definitely. Uh, and just a, a very quick and very nice uh, tweet to read from Natalie Mitchison. Uh, it says, uh, thank you very much for the nod to dad, Peter Rag. Much appreciated by all of us. You did him proud. Thank you. Yes. Aww. It was nice, yeah. it was it was nice as well that the series kind of bookended. Bookended with tributes, yeah. 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 And, especially, and once again, um, Peter Rag's coming in the most effects heavy. And, it, you know, yeah. it really is the spirit in which he started the whole thing of... It's the classic design again of Red Dwarf, physical effects um, models doing things that you'd expect, that you wouldn't expect them to do, uh, and just executed really well and really ambitiously. Yeah, and yeah. so it's a very apt tribute. Following the Though, template that he's. I, if we're being picky, I don't think they're as good as Series Six managed. Oh, no, no. Models. no, 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 no. They're not as good as uh, as uh, any of the first six series but, managed. Of you know the models in Seven, just because. Um, there's clear there was, well there was there was a lot of limitations yeah um, yeah not a great deal of, um, a great deal of money it's I mean but the you know there, there might have been more money if they hadn't screwed up the first model shoot I mean, yeah. Yeah. let's not get too uh... <laughs> yeah unless we forget the model unit yeah <laughs> I think the, I think the end results that we've got from Bill Pearson's team are fantastic but the whole thing could have been better if it was better handled in the first place yeah yeah if either Bill had been bought in straight away or the model unit had been bought in straight away and they didn't try and botch it themselves and waste time and money absolutely but you see the I remember around um back to earth I think I, I said at one point um I know we'll never see models on Red Dwarf again mm-hmm. because it's not financially viable, this, that, the other. The fact that they're actually, you know, bothering to... I mean, it is difficult to, you know, create this kind of production value. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let's... let's and <laughs> the, um, considering the amount of model shots in this episode, a high proportion of them worked. Um, the, the ones that didn't particularly work, you can 
it, it wasn't distracting. And also, the, the the effect they had on the pace of the episode was no, was was really important. I mean, they were they were really well chosen. They were you know executed as obviously as well as as they could have been given the circumstances. And I thought um, they weren't just you know chucked in there. They I, they were really a part of the DNA of the episode. Well, was, I'd have to good. watch it again, but um, I got a feeling watching that that a lot of the uh, things that felt like special effects problems to me were compositing problems. Yeah, I would um, say so, particularly the, the 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 shot that I really wasn't that keen on, which was the uh, the two shots of the crew falling through the floor. That pretty much looked to me like someone had just grabbed the still and gone. <laughs> it looked pretty lame, and I, you you just think, well, that's kind of a lot of the model shots didn't necessarily have a problem with, but just a bit of the compositing. But like I said, I would have to look at yeah. it again. It's one of the reasons why um, there's many reasons why, but one of the reasons why I'd like to see an eleventh series is because <laughs> you know that it's a new production team. Presumably, if there's an eleventh series, presumably as long as it's not five years in five years' time, you'll have a very the. A, the same people, or at least the, you know a yeah. lot of the same people. Lessons learned. They're same in the sets, flow. Same sets. Um, some presumably some model shots that they can still use again. Yeah. yeah. And for a bit longer this time, please. Oh well, I mean, we have the longest. Yeah. I think we have the longest um, ship shot we've had so far. At least it felt like the longest. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, the three million years ago, so, which caption, was yeah. which was nice. But even then, I just I need you know could have done a bit. Uh, we've got a few uh, comments that have come in referring to things that we've said uh, previously in the podcast. Oh, uh, shit. <laughs> Soundable Object said, uh, list of yeah. promise not to mention gazpacho soup again in me squared. Maybe that's why it wasn't mentioned here. Super. Super. I like that. Um, yeah, it's possible that um, Lister knows actually that Rimmer's still probably really sensitive about and decides not to go there. <laughs> Or yeah, or he's he's come up with the version that he screamed for his mommy to take the piss out of him with because that's <laughs> it's more humiliating to do that, and so he's he's trying to tell Cat and Crichton that that's what happened. Ah, look at this twat style. <laughs> uh, I I felt by the just I felt that the um the whole revelation of the uh, oh look at this big prop that I'm going to take with me when we're in mortal danger. Now, I know we have to treat kind of almost every series of Red Dwarf on its own merits, but we've never seen that before. <laughs> and it did just make me think, right, okay, so all the other times you've been in mortal danger. Ah, ah, ah. it has been on the set for the whole series. Uh, and I think he was fiddling with it in Trojan. Well, I'm sure he was. <laughs> <laughs> I think I remember him playing with something on that table at some point, and it must have been that. Yeah, because it, I thought it was some sort of um, microscope. Yeah, I thought, yeah, yeah. I and so that. we've definitely spotted it before this series, and I'll have to look up at some point. That's uh, really interesting, because I didn't spot that. I might be wrong. <laughs> I might be hallucinating. It'd be great if it is. If that's true, that's absolutely fantastic. Well, it, it's it's a bit of the old thing where if you're maybe not laughing quite enough, then you start thinking of all the things that are wrong, or not wrong as much as annoy me and I wasn't laughing maybe as much as I wish I had so my mind started wandering towards well we didn't see that in Terraform or whatever yeah. and it's like <laughs> yeah. you know I know maybe it's the wrong way to go about it but when your mind wanders you can't help what your mind suddenly yeah. screams at you when, you, you know, when you're watching something uh, going back to models briefly Alex Newsom has uh, taken time out from being five days late with his uh, podcast <laughs> again uh, saying um, Bill says the Annihilator's Bill says the Annihilators were an old model, but the Death Ship, which is the main mothership, uh, is a whole new build. 
Don't you dare close your eyes. He said. Uh, he said to look for the pencils in it. So a whole that is a um, really really good build for like what did he have? Two three weeks. Yeah. If yeah. Not. So that was nice. Be quicker with your podcast next time, Alex. <laughs> uh, we've all just been distracted in the room by the fact that John just walked up unannounced and went for a piss. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll soldier on. Uh, it's take a demon ass. Has anyone noticed that the crew are generally nice to one another, nicer to one another in Red Dwarf Ten? The barbs are there, but with less spite and bile. There's an article in that. There's an article in that, <laughs> <laughs> which well, is part of our plan of yeah, content. They're all older, aren't they? They're all older. They're all wiser. And to be honest, I've thought about this a lot because I'm I'm going to do an article on it. The bile and the the nastiness between particularly Lister and Rimmer only really happened in the first series, and mm. even then, not all the way through. I think it's been built up and. It's, it's just one of those things that people remember which isn't necessarily accurate of the content. And I think from from certainly me squared onwards, they've been friends, Yeah. Lister and Rimmer. And when they argue and bicker later on, it is friends bickering and arguing, not mortal enemies. Uh, and even things like Meltdown, when Rimmer, uh, Lister goes as far as to swallow Rimmer's light beam and shit him out at a later date, it's done out of, oh, you're being a dick, come on. It's not, I hate you, I'm going to punish you. Yeah. It's, oh, cut hell out of Rimmer. And who hasn't, you know, got annoyed with their mates and decided to swallow them and then shit them out two yeah. days later? It's... John, you've <laughs> missed a great discussion. <laughs> What's going on? Sorry. We're just talking about shit. I love shit. It's brilliant. <laughs> Speaking of shit, uh, I'm just going to call up our next guest now. <laughs> uh, it is... Uh, Someone fill for a couple of minutes. Um, Don't read them. Okay. Well, okay, let's have some tweets. Um, Simon Bomley has tweeted, as he is wont. Uh, Hoagie's map. What's uh, what's going to happen with that? That featured in, on the Doomsday site, which I didn't realise. Also, yeah. Huzzah for the Ragged oh, Tribute. Okay. To be fair, I never looked back at the so, Doomsday site. Yeah. Did it only update... Very recently. Last week. Yeah, last week. Yeah. yeah, I haven't looked at it. I, <laughs> no, no, I don't have any enthusiasm for Dave's uh, cross promotions. Uh, yeah, no, I assumed that. that was going to be important later on, other than the fact that um, the simulants were chasing Hoagie as a result and of him stealing that, and then they found the dwarfers. Maybe that will be relevant at some point in the future. Yeah, that yeah. map. Will and isn't it nice to be talking about some point in the future for Red Dwarf and it actually yeah. being possible? What are the chances of first episode of series eleven that map being used to find Kachansky? Yeah. Oh, Is it just yeah. how we've almost all assumed that series eleven's happening? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Doug seems um, at the recordings. He said. He said he seemed to be talking about when rather than if, yeah. with in the best diplomatic words that he could muster. I think it's probably is still all a little bit in the air because yeah. they yeah. want to see how well the DVD sales and <laughs> Doug that did kind of thing Doug tweet a dig dog tweet dig dog tweet a couple of <laughs> days ago saying series eleven will depend on DVD sales, which might be exaggerating oh. <laughs> a bit for <laughs> for the sake of wanting as many DVD sales as possible. I mean, we come back to the problem of Craig Charles's availability again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the yeah. thing. Yeah. And, and it's not like as it won't me- happen, but it's like when. As he mentioned in our opening dwarf cast, he doesn't ever want to be in a position where he can't do both jobs, yeah. uh, and so it's it, yeah. It might it's have to be. Yeah. But hey, maybe, uh, <laughs> yeah, but maybe happens, Lloyd will marry Mandy, and then he can, go have, on a, honeymoon. He can have a honeymoon. <laughs> <laughs> long I, I must admit, if it did come down to choosing which job, you can't help but feel a bit corny. The, well, 
Yeah, it's a. It's I mean, a how much money must be getting off that? A regular job. Well, yeah. it, not even job a huge security. amount of money, but just yeah, the job security and the fact that it's the most high-profile um, non-reality show in the country. And also, that let's face sense. it, it's going to be rather easier to shoot than rent. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and he wouldn't have to go to Shepparton. Oh, Shepparton's miles away. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, we've got a, a very tedious guest to welcome uh, to the Dwarfcast now. Uh, please welcome uh, reddwarf.co.uk writer Seb Patrick. Yeah. Who? Hey. What? Hello, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's accident. We're accidentally called Roger Moore. <laughs> <laughs> Still, Roger. Uh, Roger. Roger. <laughs> uh, what did you think of tonight's episode of popular science fiction comedy series Red Dwarf? <laughs> Oh, was that on? Oh, shit. Um, you were watching The um, Apprentice, weren't you? I'm just going to catch up on it. Um, no, I mean, obviously, as anyone who follows me on Twitter knows, I've been going on about um, how much I love that episode. I'm still to come down from the unassailable high, and that's the third time I've watched it this week. Um, you just have to slip that Yeah, I mean, you know, even aside from the fact that I think everyone... No, well, no one really trusts my opinions because, you know, I have to be positive about New Red Dwarf at all times. Um, I've really loved this series from start to finish, but that was just another level entirely. I mean, I just think it's absolutely brilliant. Uh, even if you ju- if you overlook a few tiny production flaws that are mainly budgetary and due to time constraints and stuff, um, yeah, I, it, it, that kind of thing was everything that I'd want from New Red Dwarf and from a series finale. You know, it, um, yeah. fantastic. It definitely is a big series finale type feeling episode, and yeah, completely. Uh, I mean, the sort of coming out of the uh, the original recording, the the phrase I immediately used when talking about it to everyone was Futurama ending, um, because it's an end to a series that gives you an emotionally satisfying conclusion. And if it was the last ever Red Dwarf episode, that would be absolutely perfect. That final line. You know the the conclusion to the story, everything. However, it absolutely doesn't preclude there being another series, which obviously we all hope there will be. And that's something that Future Armor, I think, has now done about three or four times <laughs> yeah. and done brilliantly every time. So uh, actually, hopefully, Red Dwarf can go and keep doing it every time. I mean, it, it would take a lot to beat that last line for me. That was just, you know, I was one of the people cheering. You could just hear a little. Okay, so I'm blaming you, Mario. <laughs> Uh, it's and... all your fault, Sebastian. <laughs> you built it up for me. I'm not uh, satisfied, you, you built Sebastian. It down for <laughs> He's heard that so many times. <laughs> um, another show that did that ending uh, with every single series is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, nice exactly. Yeah, and again, and but yeah, sets it up season for three, next season. Uh, the high school ending, that would be absolutely perfect. But you know that it doesn't without going on and doing more stories. Yeah. So. Uh, it enables you to watch series 10 as a self-contained entity as well and enjoy it on those terms as well as part of the ongoing story. So, and all, yeah, um, yeah. Th- thinking about it, um, episode 1 and 6 share a lot of themes as well. They're both Rimmer episodes. They both deal with Rimmer's family in an unexpected way. Both, yeah. both reveal a lot about the character that could potentially change him a lot. Then, yeah. yeah, I mean, again, you you guys know that I'm a massive Rimmer fan more so than the other characters, wow. and uh, <laughs> it's no surprise that those two are by far my favourite episodes of the series. Uh, I think Trojan was a fantastic opener and reintroduction, um, and yeah, I think the beginning was was a fantastic cap on it. So I um, see. I, 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 I was astonished by just how good the casting of um, of young Rimmer was, and I think you were talking earlier about the laughter um, when Philip Laby first walks in. 
And I think, okay, they might have sweetened that in post-production, <laughs> but I think there was a definite genuine laugh at, oh my God, that's Rimmer as a kid, and it actually looks like Rimmer, you know. Yeah. Um, it's the bit right at the end of his scene when he's doing his you know, little smug look at having got one over on this girl that he doesn't realise fancies it. Um, and his nostrils flare. <laughs> it's just like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a, I, I refuse to believe that he's not a clone of Chris Barry. Um, well, wait a few years and we'll soon see. Uh, I was going to say, I'm a rumour fan, but um, I... Uh, another of, point I'm, about that scene, actually. Um, which, okay, ridiculous little theory and what a bit of sort of world building. <laughs> I noticed and I don't know if it's something that anyone else caught but in that scene obviously there were a few extras um, as River's classmates and I don't know if you noticed that there were actually two Richard Naylors in that scene as well uh, one at the front and one at the back uh, in oh different costumes uh, but also in the class was Reese King um, who you may remember from the front of the magazine yeah. in Dear Dave you talked about him last week and how you know he's a runner and, and an assistant on the show uh, and the magazine had him as the JMC's youngest president. I like to think that Rimmer was in the same class as the JMC's youngest <laughs> president, and this guy has gone on and become massively more successful than him, and maybe there's a little bit of resentment there. Was that your huge unifying theory that you mentioned earlier that you were going to bring up, or have you got something else? <laughs> I never said it was a huge unifying theory. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good theory. It's a good theory. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, very good theory. Well done, Seb. <laughs> It's it's not it's not as good as my um, Rimmer is an amalgamation theory, which by the way was completely strengthened by this episode. It so. was indeed. Yeah, uh, yeah. Because, well, Rimmer, <laughs> what about when he got blown up in time slides? Then, eh? Uh, that doesn't count because <laughs> I reckon they probably went back in time again after time slides and changed something else. It's the only way to, to reconcile. I really hate people who really pedantically, and I've seen people put this even on Red Dwarf's Wikipedia entry, that the method of Rimmer's death was being blown up by a cargo crate, not being wiped out by a radiation leak. Yeah, uh, that's... And I think that's just needless pedantry. Yeah, that's slavish sort of um, following of continuity, strictly speaking, when, strictly speaking, you shouldn't really... You know, take any bit of continuity from Red Dwarf yeah, as, there's, as there's gospel. A, there's yeah. a difference between slavishly follow, following continuity and, you know, m- pointing out that something doesn't make sense in terms of character and universe. Because yeah, there's, there's you know things I don't. Oh I've yeah. Never really made any. Um, I'm not taking that personally, but. <laughs> no, oh no, I, I, I wasn't. Just, I wasn't even know, slightly referring no, no, to exactly. that. I was referring no, no. to what Seb was talking about. Yeah, exactly. It, it's. Um, the continuity thing's never been that important in Red Dwarf, no, so you just no. have to... Have well, especially to when it's that. so obviously a joke, uh, yeah. as, as the thing in Time Slides mm. is, you know. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'll say, I, I, I like the idea that, that, you know, the point is, once again, it doesn't really matter which version of Rimmer it is. It's a Rimmer who's experienced everything that we've seen Rimmer experience on screen. And even if, you know, there's not an official technical explanation for that... Um, it's continuity of character, and that's the important thing. You know, Rimmer has gone through all the things that we've seen him go through. Mm. So I'm willing to overlook the slight continuity fudge for that to to be the case. You know. Yeah, abs- I absolutely agree. And also, it's it is dismissing a part of Dwarf's continuity to an extent, but that part of Dwarf's continuity is series eight, so I have no <laughs> problems with that. Well, yeah, there is that. Yeah. Um, on this subject, I've got a comment on GNT from Danny F, uh, who says, "Hmm, why do I feel like I've just been kicked hard in the bollocks?" Not addressing, 
not, I don't know what you've been up to. <laughs> not addressing the cliffhanger we've wondered about for 13 years is forgivable, but actually taking the piss out of people who want to know the answer in the episode... Oh, oh fuck oh. off. <laughs> no, seriously, fuck off. Uh, John's views are not necessarily those of Ganymede and Titan. <laughs> however, uh, however, in this case, they are. <laughs> If you, uh, no. if you can't take a bit of, um, it's uh, a joke. you know, if you can't take a bit of, um, what's the word, rib, rib tickling, <laughs> yeah. what's the word, rib, ribbing, ribbing. from Doug Nader, <laughs> if, you can't, if you can't take a bit of ribbing for Doug Nader where he's sitting there and pointing and laughing at you a bit, come on. Yeah, exactly. You know. Uh, well, just also, the ability to actually acknowledged it and actually bothered to do something about it as opposed to just ignoring it and looking back to work. Was it before? Well, I, I think that's right. I mean, I think that was the best possible way of dealing with it because it means that it's sort of been dealt with, as in the people who are going, oh, Doug's never even acknowledged it. It's as if yeah. it hasn't followed on. Well, that's now not the case. You know, we know that it happened. By the same token, it doesn't bog us down in a load of exposition. Um, Although that said, I did like the fact that over the past week, ever since the first pictures of Hoagie appeared online, there were a lot of people who were convinced that it was Mac McDonald. And in a way, I would have quite liked to have seen that. Or Ace. Just that would have been. Um, But yeah, that that whole theory, some people thought it might have been Ace because of the hair. And then a lot of people started posting pictures of Mac McDonald and saying how similar his nose and mouth were. (laughs) Um, yeah, I'm ignoring sure. the fact that I think he's about twice as tall yeah. as Richard O'Callaghan. But, well, um, tall would be yeah one dimension in which is bigger than Richard O'Callaghan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can I say, coming back to the um, uh, Rimmer thing, I'll tell you exactly what it reminds me about. It reminds me of the episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine where um, uh, they go back in history and you've got Worf with his big ridged head uh, and everyone's looking at the old Klingons without the ridged head from the original series and um, they just say um, to Worf, what happened? You know, the whole ridge thing. And he just looks at them and says, we do not discuss it with outsiders. <laughs> <laughs> and it's exactly that. It is exactly the same thing. Acknowledge it, make a joke of it, move yeah. on. Yeah. Was it before or after we started broadcasting <laughs> that we were talking about whether that was slightly fourth wall breaky? It was, no, it was after, but it is slightly fourth okay, wall. So and it's purely the that, audience so reaction that makes it so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was one of those nice moments, actually, where you, you have a moment where uh, um, one of the actors is having to ride a laugh because there's that slightly drawn-out thing where the audience starts to realise what's just happened. They laugh a bit, some of them applaud a bit, and there's a close-up of Chris Barry, and you can see him having to wait to deliver the next line <laughs> while that sinks in for everybody. And I thought That's that was quite nice. It's just one of those little touches of, you know, I mean, not to harp on about it, but it, it punches in the face of the people who keep going on about canned laughter and stuff, and, you know. Uh, it just reminds you that it was it was shot in front of an audience and got the atmosphere of the audience and does something that you literally can't do without it being in front of an audience exactly yeah well people would people would have been laughing over Rimmer's next line if that was just you can't plan that it's an interesting point where the audience realise they're going to laugh because at the point when they realise what they've just you know um, how they've just been shrugged off you know like how the whole thing's been shrugged off is when the scene is carrying on, so the laugh, you know, almost sort of was over the top of the episode carrying on without comment. So it's yeah. it's basically what you just said, wasn't it? <laughs> oh well. Yeah. 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 The ruins. Uh, do you have anything else to chip in? Uh, oh, do you know what I did? And since we've been talking, I've forgotten it, and now uh, it's probably gonna have been lost to time. It was about it was about the series. Uh, it was about the series as a whole. I can't oh, remember right. what well, it was. It's, we're, uh, we're gonna be. I'm, I'm, ju- I'm just still, you know, so so shaken by the brilliance of, of that whole thing, really. So, oh no, no, I know, I do remember what oh, it was. Brilliant. Sorry, a small point that I totally should have mentioned. Um, 
when I was on, when I was actually talking about being on the set, and it was a detailed All right, all right. Fucking I don't know if you ever got to see it but, uh, on screen, and it, or if it will show up in a close-up on the DVD or something. Uh, but one of the nicest bits of detail in that generally brilliant set is in one part of the sleeping quarters where it's the kitchen area, um, there are two little pictures of Camille one of Camille as a blob and one of Crichton and Camille with her as a droid. Uh, and I just thought that was a really nice touch that that was Crichton's little area in the sleeping quarters where the kitchen was. So I don't know if it ever made it on screen, but I just wanted to remark that that was a feature of the set. And it nice. was really nice. Nice. Well, it was featured after the set. <laughs> yeah. oh, also, you were asking about the corridor that was the... Um, IO Polytechnic, that's literally the corridor over the back of the studio. That's where you wait when the lights are on and you can't go in. Uh, I think the, the the classroom was actually the green room, the artist's green room, or one of the green rooms along that corridor. Oh, um, nice. So that's what that was. But it was a very convincing Polytechnic, I thought. Good fact. So. On the subject of um, sets and using up bits of um, whatever's available, where, where, does the cat, where was the cat sleeping quarters? Was that just a bit of corridor? I don't know. It looked to me like he was actually in a cat bed. Which I thought was a nice touch. Like he had an oversized cat bed. We've never, we've never you ever really seen. really see it, but I like to think that was where he was sleeping. We've never ever seen um, anywhere of the cat's private areas, so to speak. No. Yeah. <laughs> at, at any point prior, and I think the assumption was that they'd be so extravagant and decorated mm. and ponced that um, they, they'd be hard to Either create. That. But real cats would fucking sleep anywhere. Yeah. So I, I do like the fact in in a. And we have cats, and so in a catty thing, that he is two floors above where Lister is. <laughs> yeah, it is as high yeah, as, 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 high as, he, yeah, as, high as the, he possibly can get. There is a small uh, moment in Infinity, I think, where um, Cat's sleeping on top of some lockers. And I always assumed until you know until this episode is we don't see where the cat's sleeping because he's probably just on top of some lockers somewhere. <laughs> he might he <laughs> might be in the scene asleep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Under the table. <laughs> Just, just, actually, just now you mentioned that scene, just one very more quick thing. Um, the bit in that scene when Hoagie's going around the ship, I thought it was a very small and very subtle bit, but I thought that was one of Robert's best bits of the series. Just that very offhanded, one floor down, sir. Um, <laughs> yeah. And he was. I also thought he was very funny. In, in, there's a bit in the cockpit scene when it's the, and it's a bit overdone. The whole towel folding thing was a bit overdone. Um, but I liked his, I'd win that one, and he does a little look on his face. So, um, yeah, I just thought it was very amusing. I thought, you know, him, him and Danny have been so good this series. Uh, I mean, Chris and Craig are always good, but those two have been, uh, you know. Well, they've been the most yeah. um, striking for me because neither of them were particularly good in Back to Earth, I didn't think, and so they're, they're definitely most improved. Yeah. One thing I thought, actually, with the whole um, beginning sequence where, you know, they're going through one floor down, etc., I I was thinking, I didn't, re I, you know, there's the reveal that, oh, he's always coming along and he's kind of, he's always uh, uh, um, um, there causing trouble. But I thought, oh, God, that's him coming in for the first time and that's how they're reacting. That's really shit writing <laughs> from Doug. Oh, yeah. And then you get the reveal and it's like, and it clicks and it's like, right, okay, that makes sense. I thought, you know, I thought it was yet another of these horrific, because honestly, <laughs> if that was season eight, they just would have done it. <laughs> yeah, yeah like you're that. probably right. I think Robert's... I um, love that. That's one of my favourite elements of, of that whole episode is just, yeah, the whole thing with Hoagie of he's been bothering them for ages. You know, there's been all these stories going on that we haven't seen and, and they're just sick of Hoagie and he just keeps turning up and I just thought, oh, he's so funny and I just yeah. really wish we'd had more of him. There's my only downside of the episode is not having enough of Hoagie in it. Hoagie for well, Series 11. Series 11 might be well. <laughs> yeah. uh, Right, well, we'll get rid of you now, Seb, because we're bored yeah. of you. Yeah, not, you. Not for the first time. Twice in one year. <laughs> uh, but uh, thanks for joining us. 
Thank you, Thanks Sarah. for having me. Uh, and uh, goodbye. A goodbye. Bye bye, Sam. Seb there. Oh, the Garbage Pod is a wholly remarkable book. Perhaps the most remarkable, certainly the most successful book, ever to come out of the great publishing corporations of Ganymede and Titan. More popular than Norman Lovett's autobiography, better selling than 53 more things to do in Chloe Annett, and more controversial than Oolon Kalufid's trilogy of philosophical blockbusters, Where Ian Lee Went Wrong, some more of Ian Lee's greatest mistakes, and who is this Ian Lee person anyway? And in many of the more relaxed civilizations on the outer eastern rim of the galaxy, the Garbage Pod has already supplanted the great Andrew Ellard as the standard repository of all Red Dwarf knowledge and wisdom. Because, although it has many omissions, contains much that is apocryphal, or at least wildly inaccurate, it scores over the older, more pedestrian work in two important ways. First, it is slightly cheaper, and second, it has the words Foaming Twat inscribed in large, friendly letters on page 133. Buy it now at ganymede.tv. Well, that was good, wasn't it? Right, that wasn't our fault this time. That was not our fault. Um, it was Adobe's fault because Flash crashed. It was a Flash crash. Uh, as Ellardent point, <laughs> Andrew Ellard points out, so Seb Patrick leaves the Ganymede and Titan live cast and the server for streaming goes down. Coincidence? Yes. You could say yes. what you like about the problems behind the scenes, but really, ultimately, <laughs> you know, it's what goes out on air that counts. We're working on a very limited budget, all right? And dead air is a crime. <laughs> uh, but we're back now, um, and we've... Uh, We've you've had some bonus um, gladiators music, so what's the matter with you? <laughs> um, right, before we were so rudely interrupted, I was going to ask you to um, get in your small points uh, because uh, it's the last chance for some small points this series, and uh, and yeah, please send in your small points. Best way to uh, contact us at the moment is through Twitter at Ganymede Titan, uh, but in the meantime. We have some exclusive uh, news to do now, or have you got tweets first? Um, I'll do this first. Do this. Cause... We have, this is so smooth, as usual. So smooth. Uh, we've got some exclusive uh, Dimension Jump news, and so, Joe from the official Red Dwarf fan club, why don't you tell us a little bit about Dimension Jump? Why don't I? <laughs> um, right, well, a lot of people will know Dimension Jump or will have attended Dimension Jump in the past but just for those of you who haven't got a clue what it is or have never been I'll just give you a quick overview um, the weekend is we'll have various guests along uh, and cast no cast and crew even um, and over the weekend we'll have uh, Q&A sessions and autograph sessions um, we even have a little bit of cabaret on the Saturday night. Um, last year we had Hattie Hayridge doing stand-up and John Lenahan doing a bit of magic. It's all very Good lovely. Um, this year, not this year, but next year, <laughs> I'm doing this so well. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, by the standards of the rest of the podcast, <laughs> you're doing beautifully. Right, next year is uh, Dimension Jump 17. It's held over the weekend, Friday the 3rd to Sunday the 5th of May. And it's going to be at the Holiday Inn Birmingham City Centre, which is the same place that we've held it for the last couple of years. It's a really 
easy to get to venue uh, they've got the space for us and they know us by now they're quite happy to let everyone stay up all night and hmm. drink and not bother us so that's good <laughs> um the guest list it goes as follows we have chris barry hey. craig charles hey. danny john jules and robert llewellyn good the big four <laughs> Um, also doing his first DJ is Tony Hawks. Um, he'll be joining us and he'll be doing the Friday night quiz. So he'll be hosting that for us. Sweet. Um, and also we're going to get a screening of uh, his latest films, Playing the Moldovans at Tennis. Um, as well as his Q&A and everything, obviously. Bill Pearson's going to be joining us. Annihilator. Saying the word, annihilator. <laughs> exactly, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, um, I'm advised that uh, if you give him a few uh, glasses of red wine, he'll be a mess mate, so, you know. Oh, right. even Bill will do a shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, as previously mentioned on, uh, on G&T Dwarfcasts, uh, Rebecca Blackstone, Okay, Pre from episode two will be joining us, Yay. as well <laughs> as Sydney Stevenson, um, Professor Irene Edgington from episode four, uh, Ali Yore, uh from last week's episode. She was the voice of the dispensing machines. Both of them. So we've got um, a triple blondes. Nice. Um, <laughs> Doug likes these blondes, doesn't he? <laughs> um, and I have three new guest to announce this evening pay attention from tonight's episode um we have alex hardy who played chancellor wednesday he was the um he was the simulant who stabbed himself <laughs> and then carried his guts out it was very camp simulant. <laughs> he was. Uh, he'll be joining us um philip Leby, um who played young rimmer hey and also Simon Trevis, who played Lecturer Rimmer. I not Rimmer's dad. I can't refer to him as Rimmer's dad because it's not true. Uh, Lecturer Rimmer. He'll be joining us as well. Um, so we've actually got quite a full list. <laughs> if you haven't been to a Dimension Jump before, I would say this is the one to go to. Um, there must be a threesome on stage with... I beg your pardon. <laughs> Typical. Yeah. Typical female dwarf fan. Yeah, well, I've been to DJs in the past where there's been about four guests in total. Mm. And now there's 12, uh, at least, because there's still... At least, because... Uh, there's yeah. still more... Spoilers, t- there's there still time be. to come. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't There might be more people to <laughs> We just, we'll just have to wait and see. You'll just and, have to wait uh, and you'll see. You'll just have to keep watching uh, www.dimensionjump.info, won't you? Isn't oh. it? Now, give me my script back. There you go. <laughs> right, small points. Who, which one of you pricks wants to whack your small point on the table at this point? Um, I'll pass for the moment because I, on the count of me not having I any. I have two small points. <laughs> <laughs> As no you comment. well know from the um, my first one, while I find my second one, was, um, did you notice that when they were flying off in Blue Midget, they had the engine noise and it was like a tiny little um, petrol engine, yes. it was like a little put-put-put-put noise, which I thought was really cute. <laughs> really, yeah. I'd completely forgotten about that, but good point. 
I don't have any small points either. I think this episode encourages big points. It does. There's there's quite a a useful one from Seb Patrick. Um, In case no Uh, one was... We're not on the internet ones yet. Oh, it doesn't matter. All right. In case no one was reading the credits, official official canonical spelling is Hoagie the Rogie. So the proper (laughs) spelling is Hoagie the Rogie. That's a good one from Seb. Thank you. I've got one. That that comes across really well (laughs) in the podcast, I think. Um, I've got one, as I kind of shouted out um, after we were watching the credits. Um, A guy called Colin Holt is a simulant that was led away going, I told you, which is um, Colin Holt. He's he's quite a big name in live comedy, especially in London. Um, He's... At, you know, he's been at the Edinburgh Festival. He's he's probably one to watch. He keeps popping up here and there, doing acting parts. But he's he's pretty damn talented. His um, character name was Chancellor Thursday, and <laughs> the the other one was Chancellor, Chancellor Wednesday. And <laughs> um, we um, this past week, uh, this will please Andrew Ellard if he's still listening. Uh, we've been watching all the Bond films from the start. And uh, we just watched um, Thunderball last night, mm. and that scene was exactly Thunderball. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, that's that's my small point. I got one. Yeah, uh, Joe. Yeah, um, it's something that we mentioned earlier about the battle timetable. Um, I did a little tweet out and to find out um, who wrote and came up with that. Um, apparently, the um, the thing was actually scripted by Doug, and it was created and designed um, by Mickey Ralph. Um, who seems to be really lovely. She's she's a fan, and she deliberately thought it would be funny if it looked like the timetable it used to hang by uh, Rimmer's bed. She um, was correct. She was correct, <laughs> yes. Um, but I just thought it was quite yeah. nice. That, yeah. Part of the uh, fantastic art team, this yeah. series. The... Yeah. Well, that's the thing, is that they they seem to have got people involved who, who like Red Dwarf, so you get little yeah. little bits like that that, that fans would like, which... <coughs> Is it's not detrimental to anyone who's not a, not a big fan that yeah, would have exactly. noticed it, but uh, it's good. I have a small point. Um, we know. I would I would have enjoyed the um, final joke with uh, Hoagie the uh, Rogie if it hadn't been trailed by the continuity announcer, and it'd yes. been a nice surprise just to have it come in because no one would have expected it but if it's trailed by the continuity announcer it just builds up and you think well you know it's wait a minute is there some big revelation setting up series 11 and no it's just a silly joke which yeah. is good if you know you're not expecting it but kind of the whole comedy of that kind of relies on you not knowing and what That's added to that as well is that I thought oh because that was recorded separately um, probably in one of the in the pickup week and I thought oh now they're going to fully explain the cliffhanger to eight, but um, but then that was undercut by. Ho- it was nice having Hoagie the Rogie, you know, being the final yeah. <laughs> scene, but um, but yeah, it wasn't. You know, it was nice. I've got. And it was a first for Red Dwarf as well. I've got a small mm, point true. that I've just remembered. Um, apparently, I've not clicked on it yet, but SFX have published an article called "The Top Ten Things We've Learned from Red Dwarf Ten from We're Smegged." Yeah. Uh, no bad SFX. That's not out yet. Fuck off. Yeah. Don't be revealing things from the documentary before everyone's got a chance to watch the documentary. This yeah. it's you're, you're really basically lazy. spoiling 
just to get yourself a little, hey, look, we know things about me. Exactly. You know. What, it, is, what it actually is, is it's just a really lazy way of writing an article. Because yeah. it's like, right, anyone can watch a DVD and list ten things in it. <laughs> yeah. You know, I could do that in five minutes. You know, you're supposed to be providing analysis and stuff like that, not fucking... I'm glad we unsubscribed. There's <laughs> <laughs> a thing. A few weeks before the, the series started airing, I posted uh, a news update uh, with some uh, extracts from a big interview they did with Chris and uh, Robert and Craig. And I said I was going to buy it uh, as compensation for, you know, uh, cutting bits out. I didn't buy it. <laughs> I have a full scan of that article. I'm never buying your magazine. <laughs> so there. So. Fuck you. <laughs> right. And also, Let's just they slagged the... off backwards in a couch potato and I've never forgiven them. <laughs> Let's just spend the last uh, ten minutes or so of this podcast just listing things that <laughs> just getting shit off our chest for the yeah. last six weeks. In fact, there's going to be an article on GT in the next uh, few weeks called, called "And Another Thing." <laughs> <laughs> it's called um, "Red Dwarf Ten Fuck Yous," which is like FAQs, but more sort of "Fuck You." <laughs> so there'll be plenty of that. Uh, meanwhile, on the internet. Uh, we've got plenty of uh, small points coming in. Ian Droid, who um, <laughs> invented robots. It's <laughs> uh, so a small point. No references to Kachansky in episode six after mentions in all five other episodes. Yes, yeah. well, I thought I was a fool to be getting annoyed about it because I thought there might be a payoff, but there wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I Justified. go back. Justified, I'll go well, back to being annoyed. I um, <laughs> I understood the, the references in the first four episodes because we knew that, well, it's assumed that it was building up to her returning uh, because of what Doug said about the last two episodes. But then when there was a reference in episode five, which was written after they knew that she wasn't going to be coming back, and then, yeah, it is weird that there was just no mention of her in this episode. But then Lister hardly said a word this episode, so <laughs> there's no chance for it. Yeah. Um, oh, Dan Pendleton is always good for a small point. Um, I've heard that. There's some graffiti in Liverpool that will back that up. The, uh, the final line, the slime's coming home, which um, was brilliant, uh, very significant. Is the search for Earth finally over? Red Dwarf now is their home, which is something that was uh, that which was done in... Backwards, backwards the and novel. a little bit in the last human as well, I think. Apart from uh, the fact that well, yeah, they were they were settling for not Earth in yeah. the last human, and in backwards it's explicitly said maybe this big red crate is Lister's home. In, in the kind of subtle writing that Rob Grant excels. <laughs> <Yeah. in. laughs> this was just after someone's testicles had been removed in some way, possibly. <laughs> Which one? Actually, I really thought that. Stabbing himself in the stomach was very Rob Grant. Yeah. <laughs> well, there was uh, quite a lot of Rob Grant reminiscence stuff here. I mean, the the um, Homo sapienoids from the original movie Flyer was I you know instantly thought of the Agonoids, and so that's carried over a little bit. But Hoagie um, blocking the breach in the hull with his ass with his ass yeah. um, is what yeah you know, was what happened to Crichton. There's a nice you know a nice little link there. All ripping off. <laughs> no, I, I, I think that would be. Um, I don't think that um, is the is the case. It's just it's it's like uh, Stuart Lee and uh, Richard Herring doing um, very similar routines. Run. I mean, yeah. it's not. It's fifteen year gap, but um, I don't know. I, I wouldn't imagine Doug rem- remembers much from backwards. No, he probably fair. read it once. Yeah. And, 
uh, it's an assumption, yeah. but yeah, I don't but think. It's, I mean, I was I wasn't really as struck by the last line as a lot of people were because I thought, well, all Doug really has to do is remember <laughs> that was a, a sort of iconic <laughs> line and just slip it in. Yeah, <laughs> but you could like, say I've... that about so many things. I think that was a bit harsh because it it's. <laughs> I am a bit harsh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, it's it's one thing to be repeating gags, but it, it's the expert deployment of things like that that I think it should be applauded. Yeah, it it, it was. Um, it didn't feel like it stuck out. It you know, it felt so, nice and organic. It actually really did feel like it stuck out to me, but really? I would need to watch the episode again. I can't say why it didn't sit right with me to be honest. So I'm, I'm essentially of no use. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I I also I've got the same opinion that I. Also, will probably be better for a rewatch. I think it will reward a rewatch this episode, oh, wow. particularly. Uh, more internet small points. Cozy Fantosi uh, says, "Didn't Rimmer do a maintenance course at Saturn Tech? Maybe he got kicked out of IO Polytechnic. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe IO Polytechnic is a subsidiary of Saturn Tech, <laughs> or it, the Saturn Tech was just a separate night class or something." Yeah, there's um, there's a Durham University campus in Middlesbrough. Maybe a similar sort. Of. <laughs> they're, they're all currently inhospitable. <laughs> Actually, I think I got that wrong, but never mind. No one never cares. mind. No one cares about the north. Um, da, da, da. There are more small points, but I can't find them. <laughs> Take a demon says the best announcement for DJ is no Kerry Shale. <laughs> oh, that's mean. <laughs> he's uh, he's good. Is Kerry Shale? Uh, usually, uh, I'm writing. A, I'm writing. I'm trying to write about him at the moment. And there is. Um, he's a, a voice artist on the Amazing World of Gumball, which I rate which as is... one of the best animations that's been out in a long, long time. I 100% agree with Danny on that one. It's amazing. Watch it. Fantastic. Don't, I found that my don't... tutor did the music for it, which I thought was a really cool thing. Oh, very good. Basically, don't bother with Red Dwarf. Go and watch the Amazing World of Gumball. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is no new Red Dwarf now. No, no, well, no. actually, I've got a small point where it's nothing to do with the show, it's to do with our site. The spoiler policy is now officially lifted. Yeah. Da, da, da. We'll be <laughs> fucking off that beautiful graphic in a, well, as soon as we've finished. Well, <laughs> Goodbye, although, friend. Although, um, if people start um, posting things from that um, SFX article, yeah. I'm going to be annoyed. Yes, yeah. oh, actually, yeah, the spoiler policy is probably still in effect until <laughs> the DVD's out, so yeah, it's still there, fucking. Uh, if it wasn't for SFX taking stuff that's supposed to be a secret and putting it in the yeah. public domain, yeah. oh, cunts. Now, um, uh, <laughs> Seb points out that it has been five years and two months that we heard the infamous no longer interested in this type of audience Red Dwarf used to attract line. Yeah. Uh, so well done, Seb. Um, uh, normally at this point we'd wrap up because uh, we'd want to watch the repeat, but um, we got cut out for ten minutes in the middle so we can bang on for a little bit more because I just want to go around, uh, as we seem to have run out of small points, and ask what people think of this series as a whole. Uh, very early impressions and only very briefly. Very uh, briefly. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll try. <laughs> I'll, I'll start as I've just introduced this to everyone and forgot to brief them about it earlier. Uh, <laughs> I think it's given me at least two episodes that I love to bits and that was The Beginning and uh, Lemons. Um, one episode that I don't like at all and that's Dear Dave. 
and three episodes, which are pretty good. And that is a far, far better ratio than I could reasonably expect from post-1993 Red Dwarf. And I'm very pleased that this series happened, and I'm largely happy with the results. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I might... My opinions are very. I mean, I um, I, I would add, I would have Trojan, the beginning, uh, Lemons, uh, and Entangled. <laughs> there's a there's a lot of this series I'm I'm absolutely delighted now exists and is out there. I'm I've got a thing in my brain where I don't think anything could um, could rise above any of the first thirty six episodes. Um, so that was never part of my expectations and I think that's helped a great deal and um, yeah just generally absolutely delighted that this series was made and that it's just it's brought about so much a lot of the plots have have really sort of sparked my imagination you know quite a lot it's this has been really nice continuity moments really really strong ideas even if they were maybe underserved in the episodes themselves um, that have been occupying my mind in a way that um, that the old series, you know, used to when I was when I was younger. So um, more than worthwhile. And um, the beginning is it's as close to being um, better than uh, Waiting for God than any other post series <laughs> six episode. <laughs> All right, let's go down the line. Uh, we've had two positive comments now. Tanya? <laughs> <laughs> um, there have been quite a few bits that I've liked, especially uh, Lemons and especially Dear Dave and especially this one. Um, I do think the entire series is a little bit of a missed opportunity because the most annoying thing about the series for me, and I think I touched on it in my <clears> review of Dear Dave, was that Doug keeps dangling things in front of you. Um, that remind you of old, really good episodes and then not necessarily (laughs) following through particularly well on them. And that's one thing that this end episode does. It actually follows through on some things, even though I'm not quite sure. I'm not totally satisfied, (laughs) (laughs) as you know. Um, But it is... um, I'm much happier with that than I was with Back to Earth or indeed Series 7 and 8, so... Overall, yeah. Um, uh, I just, uh, I. It's a shame because I think Doug has so many fantastic ideas. I just think he needs someone with him to shape them up a bit and, uh, and just give him a bit more discipline. I was just I about to say discipline. Uh, yeah. Discipline is the word because there's so many. Well, the the only, literally, the only reason that Fathers and Sons isn't up there is one of my favourites of this series is because someone at some point needed to have said, just change Taiwan Tony or get rid of him or just, you know. Oh, just stop that my favourite bit of the episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <Come>. <laughs> it's John's favourite bit of the whole series. <laughs> no, no, no. My favourite bit of the whole series is the scene tonight. Yeah. But, you know. Well, go on then, John. Um, I'm came out of Back to Earth wanting to kill myself. Yeah, and we all wanted to kill you too. Well, fair enough. Um, and then I went for like a two year sulk um, <laughs> I'm really I came into this episode I came in I really liked the recordings kind of for the for the recording experience rather than the shows um, and then I've had one episode I really liked which is Lemons and that's one episode more than I was expecting 
there is this kind of horrible thing where um because i love so much comedy and then red dwarf's got so much um built up in my head about it that it's very difficult to judge fairly and i kind of inevitably come out disappointed and maybe slightly angry because red dwarf isn't being my favourite show, and mm-hmm. that's maybe my own problem rather than the actual shows. But I so want to just sit there and go, "Oh God, that's the best thing ever!" And when it doesn't, I get annoyed and angry and upset. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of judging the whole series within that prism is a very unfair and difficult and a bit unpleasant. So the fact I've come out of it with one episode that I really, really liked, it I'm mean, happy. That's it, one more than I thought. It means that you're not gonna fuck off for two years crying <laughs> yeah, which is basically of... why John didn't do much in the couple of years after Back to Earth um, although to be fair I was also busy with other things outside wanking but, um, but yeah no I, I'm, I'm really happy I'm kind of I am frustrated that like, I, I mean I, I seem to be in a rarity in that I the beginning didn't really make me laugh an awful lot apart from that one scene which I really really enjoyed and I wish it had I, I wish it had kind of had because I do think the drums have thrown. I just wish it had kind of had more of a bump for the comedy. Mm. But no, I'm, I've come out of it happier than I thought I'd be. Good, uh, Danny. Yeah. Um, the, <laughs> the whole series I have properly enjoyed. I mean, it's it's. I always enjoy anything watching it for the first time, and you watch it again, and it kind of you know slowly you start to find the things in it that either make you really laugh or make you really kind of groan. But. There are three really good standout episodes, and I can ignore the kind of vending machine stuff in Father and Sons because the, the stuff in Father and Sons that isn't vending machine stuff is the majority fantastic. And so is Lemons, and so is the beginning. Even Dear Dave's got some stuff in it that I really, really like. So I can, you know, the whole series in, in my eyes is more success than failure. Um, but it's just. Yeah, I'm just happy we've got new Red Dwarf, and if it continues in the same thread as the beginning in terms of the writing, then if we do get Series 11, then we're on to a good thing. Definitely. And Joel? Um, I, I like it. I can understand why people have problems with various things. Um, I do think someone needs to um, push Doug a little bit. Um, because well, because we know from past that they used Fuck. to, um, they used to, um, do things like the night before, and so it would be like they'd have already written it, and then they push themselves and just and go that bit further. And I think I think you kind of need somebody to do that because while I'm quite happy with what's there, and I'm. I don't know, I guess I don't mind filling in the blanks a little bit. I can understand why other people want it there for them and want Doug to do that work. Um, but however, like I said, I, I've really enjoyed it. Obviously, there are various bits, little bits that niggle with me, which I'm not going to go into again, because, <laughs> oh my God, the saga. Um, I think... It's becoming a saga now. <laughs> it is becoming a saga now. Um, I think the beginning has um bumped dear dave off my top spot um not dear dave <laughs> no not dear Father dave sons, jesus it? not dear dave <laughs> <laughs> no that's you you don't like, <laughs> i don't apart from the the thing yeah that we're not going to discuss <laughs> i don't have a problem with dear dave you don't like the i don't mind that there's no plot I, it makes me laugh and it's fine i yeah. prefer it if there was a plot sure but 
I don't mind it. Um, but I think the beginning, Fathers and Sons, um, Trojan, Lemons, Dear Days for me. All right. Well, uh, we will be podcasting some much more in-depth thoughts on the series as a whole in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, before that, there'll be a little bonus Dwarfcast bringing together all our exclusive interviews from across the series around about this time next week. And before that, we'll have our written review of the beginning up by the end of this weekend, plus our Red Dwarf 10 DVD review and a whole bunch of other features on the site over the next few months. We've got a plan. We planned it. All that, along with the very latest news, can be found at www.ganymede.tv. Uh, a big thank you to tonight's Skype correspondents, Jonathan Johns Mad Young, Seb Patrick, and an equally huge thank you to everyone who's listened live, sent in tweets and comments, or downloaded the podcast over the last six weeks. It's been a huge amount of fun for us to do these live shows, despite uh, the fact that the <laughs> fuckers keep crashing, uh, and our crippling lack of professionalism or ability, but it's been extremely rewarding to have received warm feedback and healthy listening figures. The reason that Red Dwarf means so much to so many people is that it brings people together in a way that few other fandoms can manage, and the experience of watching brand new episodes over the last six weeks has been made infinitely better by being part of this wonderful community of like-minded lunatics. Except for Pecos Pete, he's just a twat. <laughs> so, thank you again. Sorry to take up your verbal time. From Capsi, Danny, John, Tanya, Joe and me, Ian. Bye. Thank you. Sorry. Bye. Sorry. Bye. Sorry. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to GNT Dwarfcast, and we hope sometime in the future you'll decide to listen to our Dwarfcast again. Have a safe onward journey. Goodbye.